Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. W-A-B-E in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Today marks the 46th anniversary of our nation's first federal special education law. Though America has come far since the law was signed, funding for students with disabilities remains challenging. Minds in Motion is Jessica Sibley's therapy clinic in Atlanta for neurodiverse individuals, which gives a level up to its students by teaching communication pathways through art. Later this hour, City Light senior producer Kim Trobes explores How Minds in Motion, joined with artist Shane Morton of Silver Scream FX Lab, and taught students stop-motion animation. Plus, the Atlanta Gay Men's Chorus celebrates its 40th anniversary, and we'll hear about their upcoming holiday concert. First... The music theater world mourns the death of composer and lyricist Stephen Sondheim, who passed away on November 26th at the age of 91. With a 70-year history on Broadway, Sondheim was one of the most powerful creative forces of our time, earning a Pulitzer Prize and Academy Award eight Tonys, a Kennedy Center honor, and the Presidential Medal of Freedom. WABE music contributor Dr. Scott Stewart is with us for a tribute to this extraordinary artist who many of us feel was a close friend. Thanks, Lois, and what a wonderful friend and artist he was, Stephen Sondheim was a revolutionary voice in musical theater and indeed all of the performing arts. He brought us Into the Woods, Sweeney Todd, Gypsy, and so many other game changers on the Broadway scene. I think one of Sondheim's greatest distinctions as a composer and a lyricist was his attention to character and how conversations that we might have in a coffee shop could easily be adapted into musical numbers, which 
often included a lot of witty and clever, tightly rhymed, chatty lyrics. I always remember the prologue to Into the Woods, we've no time to sit and dither while her withers wither with her. <laughs> and his music was mathematically tricky and full of rhythmic landmines for performers, which is why we love to play it so much. But they were always digging deeply into revealing the hearts of the characters. Stephen Sondheim was talented and hardworking, and he also had a little bit of right time, right place experiences. After his parents divorced when he was about 10, his mom moved to Doylestown, Pennsylvania, near the summer residence of Oscar Hammerstein, where Stephen became friends with his son, James. So he got his first break as Oscar Hammerstein's personal assistant, not a bad gig, and later studied at Williams College and Princeton University with avant-garde composer Milton Babbitt. Stephen Sondheim became active on Broadway in 1957 linked with no less than composer Leonard Bernstein and choreographer Jerome Robbins on Arthur Lawrence's West Side Story. Amazing dream team right there. Sondheim was 27 when West Side Story came along. His mentor, Oscar Hammerstein, convinced him to throw his hat in the ring for this show, and it worked out rather well. West Side Story, as we all know, is an adaptation of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. But in this case, the star-crossed lovers are members of rival white and Puerto Rican gangs in racially charged 1950s New York. In the balcony scene, we hear Tony and Maria singing the love duet tonight. Tonight, tonight, it all began tonight. I saw you and the world went away Tonight, tonight There's only you tonight What you are, what you do, what you say Today, all day I had the feeling A miracle would happen I know now I was wrong from the 1961 film adaptation of West Side Story, we've heard Marnie Nixon dubbing for Natalie Wood and Jimmy Bryant doubling for Richard Boehmer in Tonight from West Side Story. Music by Leonard Bernstein and lyrics by the incomparable Stephen Sondheim. West Side Story was a wild hit, running for over a thousand performances on Broadway. Yeah, and in fact, the new film version that's being directed by Steven Spielberg, and I am sorry for all the S's, it's Scott Stewart talking about Steven Sondheim <laughs> and Steven Spielberg. I wanted to say today's show is brought to you by the letter S. <laughs> it is. I feel like we should have some kind of Muppet introducing us. <laughs> But Steven Spielberg has directed the newest installation of West Side Story, which is set for release on December 7th at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood and will be out in U.S. theaters just a couple days later. The movie is dedicated to Spielberg's father, Arnold, who passed away in August of 2020 when it was supposed to be released originally. In September of this year, Sondheim appeared on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert and put his stamp of approval on the movie, saying that Spielberg and screenwriter Tony Kushner had nailed it. 
Together, wherever we go, the powerful pipes of Ethel Merman, starring in the 1959 hit musical Gypsy, based on the memoirs of striptease artist Gypsy Rose Lee. Arthur Lawrence, fresh off the heels of a successful West Side Story, wrote the libretto. And if you just had to adjust the levels on your speakers, <laughs> that is because that was Ethel Merman, who is amazing. And you noticed I did not burst into my <laughs> Ethel Merman imitation. I think listeners will appreciate that. I would actually pay yeah. to hear that. <laughs> Well, the story goes that Arthur Lawrence approached composers Irving Berlin and Cole Porter to score Gypsy, and they both declined. So they approached Stephen Sondheim, but Ethel Merriman in diva mode did not want a quote-unquote unknown composer on the project. So they engaged Jewel Stein as composer, and Sondheim begrudgingly accepted as just the lyricist. As it turns out, Gypsy has an uncanny number of Broadway standards that have emerged after the show itself, including Everything's Coming Up Roses, You Gotta Get a Gimmick, and Let Me Entertain You. One of Sondheim's early successes, the first success in which he composed both the music and the lyrics, was a funny thing happened on the way to the forum produced in 1962. It was co-written by Bert Shrevelove and Larry Gelbart, the creator of the hit TV show Match. Zero Mostel, famous for his role as Tevye in Fiddler on the Roof, played Pseudolus in the original cast. Oh, and many of us remember Nathan Lane in the 1996 revival. I got to see that show on Broadway. It was spectacular. And a funny thing happened on the way to the forum was a huge Broadway success as well as West Side Story. It won Best Musical in the Tonys in 1962 and ran for nearly 1,000 performances at the Majestic Theater. This really cemented Stephen Sondheim's preeminent position as a leading composer and lyricist on Broadway. Here's Jason Alexander, now it's George from Seinfeld, in the opening number, Comedy Tonight. Something familiar, something peculiar, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Comedy tonight from A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. Modest ventures followed in the 1960s, but Sondheim returned in full force in 1970 with company. This 
show is a minimally plotted set of short stories about a single man, his girlfriends, and his married friends, all in the context of grappling with relationships and commitment. It received 14 Tony nominations and won six Tony Awards, including Best Musical, Best Score, and Best Lyrics. Company was Sondheim's sixth Broadway musical, but one where the tone was shifting from what in the past had been more lighthearted themes to much more serious, realistic adult topics. Being Alive is the climax to the entire company production when Bachelor Bobby realizes that he needs company. And there are two halves to this song, the first in which he rejects the need for relationships and the second half in which he actually yearns for it. You'll notice this really subtle shift of lyrics, first half, someone to hold me too close, later in the second half that says, please somebody hold me too close. Somebody hold me too close Somebody hurt me too deep Somebody sit in my chair And ruin my sleep And make me aware Of being alive Being alive Somebody need me too much Dean Jones in the title role as Robert, or Bobby, in the 1970 original cast recording of Company, music of Stephen Sondheim and lyrics by George Firth. I got to see that as a 16-year-old. Another gem from Company is The Ladies Who Lunch, which is pretty much the opposite of Broadway's jolly escapist avoidance of reality and they lived happily ever after scenarios. This musical toast mocks the empty and purposeless lives of stereotypical middle-aged wealthy women. And each verse becomes more bitter and more boozy as Joanne breaks down, all on top of this sweet little bossa nova. Elaine Stritch made this piece very famous from the original cast. Here's to the ladies who lunch. Everybody laugh. Lounging in their caftans and planning a brunch. On their own behalf Off to the gym Then to a fitting Claiming their fat And looking grim Cause they've been sitting Choosing a hat The ladies who lunch from company, you can't help notice Sondheim's clever and somewhat judgmental lyrics and internal rhymes. This one is definitely worth a full listen. And Elaine Stritch owns it, Scott. She does. Isn't it rich 
Desert Island Works, a little night music, a musical with both music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim, opened on Broadway in 1973 and was adapted for film in 1977. In fact, I think it was inspired by a much earlier film, that of Ingmar Bergman's Smiles of a Summer Night. The story is a topsy-turvy romantic farce about mismatched couples who eventually find the right partners by the end of the show. It was the Tony Award winner for Best Score in 1974. A Little Night Music features Sondheim's best-known and his most commercially successful song, Send in the Clowns. It's been covered by hundreds of musicians in many different styles. We just heard Frank Sinatra, who recorded it in the same year as the Broadway opening for his album, Old Blue Eyes is Back. It became a pop hit after Judy Collins' version stayed on the Billboard Top 100 for 11 weeks in 1975, and then it was named Song of the Year at the Grammys in 1976. In 1985, Sondheim added one verse specifically for Barbara Streisand to use on her Broadway album, which charted in 1986. Streisand performing Send in the Clouds by Stephen Sondheim. Hugh Wheeler, the librettist for A Little Night Music, collaborated with Stephen Sondheim in 1979 on one of Broadway's darkest creations, Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. This certainly speaks to Sondheim's range of topics. In this case, a vengeful, murderous barber. Sweeney Todd was Sondheim's 10th Broadway production. It won eight Tony Awards, including Best Musical. It's considered one of Sondheim's masterpieces and was adapted into Tim Burton's 2007 film starring Johnny Depp. Mrs. Lovett, the meat pie store owner, convinces Sweeney Todd that they can mutually benefit from his slain customers by converting them into, well, uh, pastries. So she does this in a patter aria, and this is an old tradition from operas, uh, numbers that have quick, witty, syllabic texts, when she suggests that he try a little priest. Have a little priest. Is it really good? Sir, it's too good, at least. Then again, they don't commit sins of the flesh, so it's pretty fresh. Awful lot of fat. Only where it's at. Haven't you got poet or something like that? 
Now you see the trouble with poet is how do you know it's deceased? Try the priest. Grizzly and delightful at the same time. <laughs> Stephen Sondheim's pun-filled and rather unappetizing A Little Priest from Sweeney Todd. From the original cast recording, we heard Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Lovett, the meat pie maker, and Len Carrier as the barber. Mother cannot guide you Beside you, still you're not alone. No one is alone, truly, no one is alone. No one is alone. The climactic number in Stephen Sondheim's 1987 musical, Into the Woods. This is a dark take on the intertwining of several fairy tales, including Little Red Riding Hood, Cinderella, Jack and the Beanstalk, Rapunzel, and a few others, and the story of a baker and his wife who wished to start a family. Okay, I have to add Into the Woods to my Desert Island collection of recordings. Into the Woods won several Tonys, including Best Score and Best Book, by James Lapine. It has been produced many times and adapted into a Disney movie in 2014. There was a marvelous production of Into the Woods at the Alliance Theater here, directed by Susan Booth. About 10 years ago, she had it as her 10th anniversary celebration and dedicated it to her daughter. Outstanding show. It seems clear that Stephen Sondheim will be remembered not only for his brilliantly creative musical compositions, but also for coordinating a directional shift of the American musical theater during his career. He grew up in an era of optimistic, escapist, lighthearted, happy ending musicals, and he steered the entire genre toward serious topics that were grounded in the reality of what it's like to be a human. He elevated musical theater to one of the most revered and one of the most well-attended art forms of our time, and his presence on Broadway will be sorely missed. We are grateful for so much music and so much goodwill from Stephen Sondheim. Rest in peace. Dr. Scott Stewart is WABE music contributor and host of Strike Up the Band. He's on the music faculty at the Westminster Schools and conductor of the Atlanta Youth Wind Symphony. Scott, I love being with you together wherever we go. Thanks, Lois. Did you know Today marks the anniversary of our nation's first federal special education law, signed by President Gerald Ford on December 2, 1975. This anniversary celebrates students with disabilities, their educators, and their administrators. In a moment, 
We listened back to our interview with one such exceptional educator, Jessica Sibley of Minds in Motion. You're tuned to WABE Atlanta. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Wrights. It's great to have you along. Today marks the 46th anniversary of our country's first special education law. America has come far since the law was signed. However, funding for students with disabilities remains challenging. Jessica Sibley of Atlanta's Minds in Motion knows this well. Sibley's Therapy Clinic for Neurodiverse Individuals gives a level up to its students by teaching communication pathways through art. This summer, they partnered with the artist Shane Morton of Silver Scream FX Lab and taught students stop-motion animation. Earlier this year, City Light senior producer Kim Drobes visited with Sibley and Morton over Zoom. Sibley began explaining how letterboards help her to work with neurodiverse individuals. I'm an occupational therapist, and I have two colleagues I work with. One's a speech and language pathologist, and the other one is a letterboard specialist or communication specialist. And we came together and just decided that we all have a passion for art and movement and creating, and we work with a very large neurodiverse population. You mentioned a letterboard. For the unfamiliar, can you explain what that is? Sure. It's just a board. It has A to Z on it, and the students work to practice the motor skills to point to letters to spell. So a lot of our individuals are bombarded with sensory differences and might be easily distracted or overwhelmed and they have impulse control issues. For instance, they might be inclined to say the same word over and over. So before they really are fluent on our letter boards, we work with them so that they can communicate reliably, and that becomes a means of communication for them. Well, Shane, how did you meet Jessica, and what inspired you to get involved with the project? Well, I was brought into this through Jared Faust, and Jared and I have been working on movies and television shows for years. He's a really gifted uh, special effects artist who specializes in what's called tokusatsu effects, which is 
the Japanese term for special effects and miniaturization. When they had talked about, you know, teaching stop motion to these students, I was super excited because King Kong is the reason that I do everything that I do. I saw King Kong when I was like three years old and it changed my whole <laughs> life. And from then on, I've been an artist and I've been working with special effects in films for 35 years now. So yeah, it's just the kind of thing that made me totally excited to be there all day. Let's get a little more into the specifics of how your particular class ended up breaking down and then how it ended up looking. We kind of made the premise of our week about illusion and how illusion is perceived by our brain and how it's created visually, um, whether it's looking at an image and seeing multiple different images, depending on how you look on it or colors. And so we kind of wanted to bring in a couple different effects. So we talked about visual poetry, how poets can put words in a certain form and make an illusion of an image. And that can kind of grow what you're reading and make you think about it differently. And we had our students make visual poetry with stamps and we drew out a key. And so they would stamp letters of the words that they pick. So they would say the key to inclusion is diversity. And so they would stamp diversity into their image. It was really cool. And then also stop motion. So looking at how to create movement using images and pictures. And we used their bodies to create letters, which was, it was, that was such a fun task. Cause again, my students don't move very fluidly. So they need a lot of support. And then it's difficult for them to hold a position for a long time. So it was really cool to get them laying down on the ground next to each other, working with one another to create the image of the letter in, for, for example. And then um, finally, we wanted to bring it all together using film and all the cool stuff Jared and Shane know how to do. These images together, it creates movement, just sort of like you know, when they animate King Kong, they move the model just a fraction of a centimeter and take a picture, fraction of a centimeter. It's a very time-consuming process. But I was surprised. One of them was autonomy and the way that he had animated this piece where at the end, the O and the N in autonomy were both switched out by red letters. So it turned the word on. There were little magic Aww. moments like that that were happening in this project. And to me, that sort of thinking would come from somebody that had been doing this for a while, not somebody who had just learned it, the process three days ago. That's so fascinating. So you really saw connection and light bulbs going off in students' heads. Oh, boy, did we ever. And when they would, you know, because most of them are nonverbal, but when they would get the board and read out these messages. These messages, they were so eloquent that these thank you notes at the end of the thing slayed us. Jared and I had to like keep it together so we didn't cry in front of everybody because it was <laughs> right. so eloquent what these guys were saying. And, and to somebody that hadn't been working there, they might think that this one kid might not have been paying attention to us because he might not have been looking at us while we were talking about what process we were going through. But then when you realize he's listened to every single bit of my new show and they really get it. So these guys, they, they get marginalized and people don't maybe pay attention because they don't know what's going on inside their head. There's a mm -hmm. lot. Yeah. It's not that the students don't know what's going on outside in the world. It's just that 
we can't really see what's going on inside their heads. Like exactly, you said. Yeah. Yep. That's so interesting. And so Jess, you know, you've made a career out of teaching students like this. Was that a long learned process, you know, just to be able to take that leap of faith that you are being understood? Yeah, you know, starting off in my career, um, I think I was very heavily focused on sensory systems and making sure like the lights weren't too bright or noise wasn't too loud. And now as I've gotten along in my career, I recognize those things are important and they help keep our students regulated and calm. But the real key here is helping them participate and engage in the world. And the world is going to have those components, no matter where you go. We can't Mm -hmm. always guarantee that someone's going to understand or be able to dim the lights or use choir voices or whatnot. So I really work with my students on helping them find coping strategies. But more importantly, we really coach them on how to use their body more meaningfully and purposefully. Because a lot of our students do look like they're checked out and or they're not engaging in the way that we would hope they would but with a little bit of just a tiny bit of effort and prompt just to kind of say hey come over here look at this you know use your eyes to take this in they can do that oh that's so great and to be able to combine that with an artistic venture like this and like some of the other projects that you're doing is just lovely And I like that you, Shane, got a chance to describe the stop-motion wordplay. There's another element to what you guys created together, right? Yeah, it kind of started with the stop-motion and the shape of words. But then what they did was they took these words and applied them to these like cardboard buildings that we made. And we painted like a backdrop with clouds. And we built them an environment so they could become like all-powerful kaiju and smash these buildings that were (laughs) metaphors for the barriers they have to deal with in life. It's kind of heady stuff, actually, you know? So it was great to see that, sure, it's fun to run in there and smash a cardboard city or whatever, but that's not what they were doing. Like, let me just read this letter that one of the students, I'm not going to name any names, but he wrote this after the shoot and this gives you an idea of how eloquent they were so he said thank you so much jared and shane for making this experience so much fun and memorable the force of your creative spirit is unbelievable these forms used to create an experience of busting through our barriers were impactful wow and this is from a you know he never said a word to us in fact, he never vocalized. Yeah, and I love whole... his key word is OCD. Um, one of his barriers was OCD, and he really struggles with kind of these obsessive compulsive picking and things. And he had such a good time and was so regulated and clearly motivated to be part of this experience. It was really cool to see. I think what's so unique about my clientele is that they can do and say things that just come off a little like unique or different. And sometimes people just don't know how to react to that. And I think uh, one thing that I love about being out in the community or meeting people like Shane and Jared is that we are so comfortable with our students as they are that we can really model like, okay, when this kid asks you for the third time who your ex-girlfriend is, like (laughs) you don't probably have to answer that every time because we've kind of modeled how to help that. So I think it's a really 
collaborative effort of both our students showing up and being themselves and then having the support so that we can help other people know what do you do in this situation? What happens if someone does scream all of a sudden and how should we respond to that? Um, but also what is it like when you say hello to someone who can't say hello back to you? You know, like mm -hmm. people get uncomfortable with that. And I think, um, I know myself, like I, you know, I'm pretty comfortable with it. I can have full on dialogues with them. And, you know, I try to think of ways to make sure that I'm including their thought process, even if I can't include their actual thoughts out loud. And so I think that we could all learn and practice that. If yeah. I was to run into you and your group out in the community, what would be one piece of advice you could give me on how I could handle it better than maybe my instincts would allow? Um, you know, I think I would say, speak to them directly. If they don't respond, just use a kind follow up. So I mean, sometimes I'll just be like, Hey, Shane, how are you? And if they don't say anything, then I might just be like, it's so good to see you today. Or I'm so glad we got to meet and just being okay with that comfort. Or I just saw something this weekend that made me think of blah, 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 like just sharing information with them. One thing they can do is definitely here and understand everything. So mm -hmm. I, I always am looking for things that I can teach or tell them and just acknowledging that um, I see and I respect them. So I think a lot of people tend to like look at me and talk to me and mm -hmm. I always redirect back to the student. I don't know, Lily, I'm curious what your thoughts are about that. We'll have to check in on that later, you know? So then I can kind of help model like this child is right here and hears you. And even if they can't answer, I'll follow up with them later and see if I can find out. Jessica Sibley of Atlanta's Minds in Motion and Shane Morton of Silver Scream FX Lab speaking with City Light senior producer, Kim Drobes. You can hear that entire interview on our website, wabe.org slash City Lights. Coming up, we'll hear about the Atlanta Gay Men's Chorus 40th Anniversary Holiday Concert this weekend. You're tuned to WABE Atlanta. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. This holiday season marks the 40th anniversary of the Atlanta Gay Men's Chorus their ruby anniversary, and to celebrate, they're bringing in the holiday spirit with three performances of festive music on Friday and Saturday, December 3rd and 4th. Joining us now via Zoom is Artistic Director Don Milton. Welcome back to City Light. Thank you so much, Lois. So happy to be with you. The last in-person concert that the Atlanta Gay Men's Chorus had. It was actually the first weekend in March of 2020, four days before the world shut down. Ooh, what are you thinking as we approach your return to performing in front of a live audience? It is, it's hard to put into words how excited we are. You know, the, the name of the game this whole 
cycle has been keeping everybody safe. We started rehearsing in a parking lot, then we moved into a parking structure, and finally into our regular rehearsal space. We have been working so hard and, you know, I, it would make sense if there had been kind of a step back musically for a group that hadn't rehearsed in person for a year and a half. But it's, it's been the opposite. The guys are so hungry to, to make music together that we've, uh, it really sounds very special. And in rehearsal, there's like this beautiful focus and excitement and we can't wait to get back in the cathedral. I saw a TikTok where you all were practicing for the holiday concert wearing masks. We are. We're, we're practicing in masks right now. And we have a, a little COVID task force like most organizations have right now. And if the cases start to tick up a little bit, we'll wear masks for the concert. But right now we're planning that the week of the show, every guy in the chorus will get a PCR test and then a rapid test every single day, which will allow us to sing without masks on. But our audience is going to be 100% vaccinated and wear masks. So it's a safe event to attend. If you haven't left the house for a musical event in, a, in a, quite a long time, this could be a very safe one. Oh, and celebratory. Mm -hmm. 40 years of performances and music for the Gay Men's Chorus. That predates you by several decades. It does. <laughs> do you know the history of the group? I do. You know, Jeffrey McIntyre, who started the Atlanta Gay Men's Chorus, their auditions were in August of 1981. During this season, going to be telling a lot of that story. Um, the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus began at rallies after Harvey Milk was assassinated. And at these rallies, there was a lot of singing and that transformed into the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. And Jeffrey was inspired by that and began the Atlanta Gay Men's Chorus here in the Deep South. It's a big deal that, that group, this group has been around for such a long time. And to hear the stories of what all these men went through. And, you know, this is at the height of the AIDS epidemic. And they were losing, you know, several members every year. And it was a very heavy time. But also a time full of, of perseverance and, and courage. And the, the group, we, we stand on their shoulders. We stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. And we're, we're so lucky that these people had that foresight and that strength. And a big part of our season is looking back and, and being grateful for those things, but also singing music from our past and also looking forward to the future. This, this concert we have an alumni uh, Facebook group, and I asked, hey, what were your favorite songs of all time? And several of those are on this concert. Please tell us some of those all-time favorites that are being included. I know for, for many years, the Franz Beeble's Ave Maria was sung at every Gay Men's Chorus concert. That hasn't been a, a tradition for a while, but we brought it back for this concert. Whenever a group of men's chorus directors gets together and argues about what the greatest piece ever written for men's chorus is, this is there. This is at least in the conversation. 
and usually it wins. It is just a spectacular, perfect piece of choral music. It's for double choir, so there's a large, a large ensemble and a small ensemble that sing, and it's hard to put into words just how really, really special it is. We're singing it this year to commemorate those who have passed away over the last 40 years, singers in this ensemble. And, uh, you know, I can tell you, it might be the most beautiful thing you hear this whole holiday season. It's a real possibility that if you come hear this concert, it'll just knock you over. Well, switching gears, what can you tell us about the hilarious new satirical song, Holiday Lament? So if you came to the concert uh, two years ago, we had found this piece called Recycle the Fruitcake. And... <laughs> It's so funny about how fruitcakes just get passed from house to house and no one actually wants a fruitcake. And then one of our chorus members uh, sent me a video of another song called A Holiday Lament, but the text is Nobody Likes a Fruitcake, and it's oh. sung by three fruitcakes. <laughs> We're going to have some costumes. One thing I love about this chorus that I, I can't say enough is not every chorus can do really, really beautiful and really, really funny. And this chorus does shtick so well. When we did Recycle the Fruitcake, I couldn't look at them. I, was, I had to look down at my music because if I looked up, I would just lose it. And this will uh, be memorable to say the least. Well, given the etymology of shtick, I saw that among the songs you will perform is one named Latke Recipe. <laughs> Yes. And wait, arranged by the Maccabees? The, the Maccabees are an all-Jewish a cappella group. They're very funny and they're very talented. And this is a parody song to the uh, the song Shut Up and Dance by Walk the Moon. The, Shut up and dance with me. But it's a latka recipe. It's so <laughs> funny. Have, and, and honestly, the, the song has a latka recipe in it. We sing all about how to grate the potatoes and grate an onion in there, add a little baking powder. and Oh, that's fabulous. It's so fun. And this concert will also have a premiere performance of Hanerot Halalu, which you arranged. What can you tell us about that song, Don? So we do a Hanukkah song on our concert every year, at least one. And this year, our concerts take place on the 6th and 7th nights of Hanukkah. So I wanted to do something extra special. I reached out to a friend of mine, Deborah Sachs-Mintz, who is a great singer and song leader in the Jewish community in Brooklyn. And I said, hey, are there any like actually really great Hanukkah songs? And she said, no, but here's one that my friends and I did during the pandemic, and she sent this beautiful rendition of this Hanerot Halalu. I just I fell in love with it immediately. It's so special. And so I asked her if I could arrange it for the men's chorus, but she said yes. And so during this, we're going to do a candle blessing and light a menorah and have it be a deep, meaningful part of our holiday concert since we have the since we're fortunate enough to have our concerts during Hanukkah. You are always thoughtful. 
wonderful and inclusive. Are there other musical highlights you'd like to touch upon, Don? Absolutely. We're doing Eric Whitaker's Luxo Rumque. Whitaker is probably the most popular choral composer right now and has been for a couple of decades. He writes these incredible cluster chords and this piece is powerful and mysterious. The beginning of the text translates to light, warm and heavy as pure gold. And that's a beautiful way to describe the way he writes music. It is warm and heavy and yet ethereal. And uh, so we're really enjoying singing that. We're bringing back another favorite, Betelehemu, which was said by so many to be a favorite piece. It's a Nigerian carol, big and fun. We're actually opening our concert with that. We're doing a piece called PC Christmas, written by this guy, Eric Lane Barnes. He writes a lot of very funny theatrical things. And it uh, goes through a company, the, the Pacific Corporation, PC, uh, having a Christmas party. And then people complain a little, so then they add some uh, secular holiday songs. And people complain a little, so they add some Hanukkah songs. Then more, then some Kwanzaa songs, and then some Solstice Equinox songs. <laughs> it's very funny. And our narrator happens to be a really great puppet. A puppet. Of course. Of yeah. course, yes. <laughs> Tell us how you managed to corral this puppet at such a busy time of year. The truth is we have not one, but two professional puppeteers in the Atlantic Amen's Chorus. <laughs> oh, my. It's an amazing group of guys. Don, as you celebrate these 40 years, are there new goals or a mission for this season? Yeah, that, that looking back and looking forward idea has really sat with me. I read a thing when I was in college in the Robert Shaw Reader. Robert Shaw, of course, of in Atlanta fame, but also nationally is one of the great American choral conductors of all time. And he would write letters to his chorus after every rehearsal. And he wrote in one of them that concerning doing new music, that you need to find out how much new music your audience can stand, and you should do that much plus 10%. <laughs> and I just, that really struck me when I read the book when I was 20, 21 years old. So I believe very deeply in, in commissioning new work. So this season, we have several premieres on this concert. We're going to have more on our April concert. And then our June show is going to be a new major work called Queer Z, uh, about the uh, queer experience of people in Generation Z. And it is spectacular. 
spectacular, and I cannot wait for us to dive in and bring this new work to light. It's, uh, it's one of those works that I know is going to be performed for decades to come. It's very cool. Did I read something about ruby red slippers for this ruby anniversary? <laughs> so on our 40th anniversary concert, which will be April 10th, a lot of our previous directors are going to come back and conduct on, on the stage and, and be there to be recognized. We are hoping to find some cool ruby slippers for all of them. Oh, my God. <laughs> Artistic director Don Milton, the Atlanta Gay Men's Chorus Show, Don We Now Our Gay Apparel, will be held at the Cathedral of St. Philip this Friday and Saturday, December 3rd and 4th. There are three concerts. More information can be found on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Catch an encore broadcast tonight at 9 Tomorrow at 11 a.m., cookbook author Anne Burns stops by to tell us about her latest offering, a new take on cake. Plus, we'll hear the story behind a special connection between the temple in Atlanta and our nation's second family. City Light's senior producer is Kim Drobes. Summer Evans is our producer, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. I would absolutely love it if you'd follow me on Twitter, at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thank you for listening to W-A-B-E, Atlanta's choice for NPR. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org donate. And thanks.